Welcome to the Upgrade Your Education Business podcast. I'm your host, Samantha. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you find this episode useful. If you're new to this podcast, each week I share fluff-free, actionable ideas tailored to education businesses that you can mould to suit your needs. And finally, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review on iTunes or follow and subscribe on whichever platform you choose. Thank you once again for tuning in. Hello everyone, it's Samantha here and today I'll be sharing a conversation that I had with wellbeing expert Claire Pass. Now I thought this was a really important conversation because as business owners things can get quite overwhelming and we do have a tendency of overworking. Now Claire herself runs a business and she also works with school teachers And the thing I really like about Claire's advice is that everything is underpinned by both experience and research. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited to be here. So I'm Claire Pass and I work with Rachel Bushby. We co-founded Dragonfly Impact Education in 2018. And since then, it's really grown and we train and support schools nationwide in looking after well-being because for us well-being is the foundation of all kind of flourishing how people learn and grow and develop we focus on the well-being of students but also how staff can look after their own well-being and we do parent talks as well and we offer some individual coaching too because ultimately children can only be well as long as the adults in their lives are well I think what you do is so valuable because when I think back to my teaching days, the way I was feeling massively impacted how I taught, but not just how I taught, how I managed students, because in my mind, rather than always being driven by what they needed, I was driven by what I needed. I I knew I needed to reduce my workload. And so if they misbehaved and there was a trail of paperwork, then I needed to try and avoid that. So, you know, what you do is so, so valuable. And I wish that I knew you. I wish I met you when I was teaching. The first thing I thought that we could discuss is as business owners, we know that there are so many things we need to do, whether it's our yearly accounts, whether it's marketing, whether it's thinking, you know, there's a lot of thinking time that goes on behind the scenes and even strategizing, thinking about where we want to take our businesses. And I haven't even mentioned the delivery. And it's not uncommon to feel very overwhelmed by all of that. So what kind of strategies do you use as a business owner and what do you advise people that you coach with to try and handle that? I think um, you really hit the nail on your head when you talked about the burden of thinking and all of the strategizing. In In so many respects, the actual doing of it, the delivery of it is the most straightforward and the easiest bit because you're committed then and you're taking action and it's something you can tick off your list. The problem with thinking about what you're going to do and planning what you're going to do is if that stays in your head, that's quite nebulous. It feels like you're carrying that weight all of the time. I know um, when I've chatted to you in the past, Samantha, we've talked about um, that idea of unclosed loops. From an evolutionary point of view, human beings are designed to kind of want to complete narratives, to want to kind of close off loops in their head. So if you've got things in your head that you're holding on to, which are unfinished that will just go round and round and round on a loop in your mind and that's exhausting and it's probably easier to kind of just do it than it than it is to kind of carry carry that around with you all the time as an unclosed loop because it will just play on repeat 
the way that you close those loops is to either bank it, you get it written down on a list, but you have to have absolute faith but it will get done if it's on that list. Because if you don't, then it will still stay in your mind as that unclosed loop as well. So it needs to be a list where anything that goes on that list, it will be dealt with. And then if you've banked it later on, you can either delegate it, so hand it over to somebody else or just do it. If it's a short job, it's better off just to do it because actually the thinking is the biggest thing I think that adds to that sense of overwhelm when you've got all of these sort of different balls in the air. One thing that I did was I took a step back and I created a strategic plan for my business, which is very different from a business plan. And, you know, that actually massively helped me because I've definitely been feeling overwhelmed. I mean, we were just talking about it, how it's a real kind of yo-yo, you know, really up and down. And what this strategic plan actually helped me do was I already had pinpointed my mission and my vision for my company, but it made me think, what are my core values? You know, what am I really centering things around? And then based on that, I use that to underpin three to four goals. So just high level goals for my business. So I removed myself from the picture. And then off the back of that, I then broke each goal up into some strategies. So how can I achieve that goal? And now those strategies are informing some project plans. So if I've got a strategy to, let's say, improve my visibility on social media, I can then create a project plan where I can say, right, these are the tasks that I'm going to do to improve my visibility on social media. And then when you've got those tasks down, you can make that decision as, is this something I need to do now or can it wait till later? Do I need to do this or can I delegate this? So can I hire an assistant or a specialist in that area to do it for me or to at least guide a lot of the process? And I have found that although that's a really methodical way of doing it, I've actually found that's really worked for me. And it's working for some of the educators that I'm working with on that as well. I think the, the thing that you said that I thought, well, that's exactly what I was going to say, was the, the idea about the values. Um, and when you're planning strategy, it's so important to have it un- underpinned really by, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah. Why is this important to you? It's really well known and well established now that that sense of purpose and having a sense of meaning is really fundamental to our well-being knowing why it is you're doing what you're doing and having your core values underpinning all of those strategies really is a protective factor. Um, Ofsted in 2019 actually did a teacher wellbeing survey and they said that even though there were lots of kind of massively negative things for educators well-being like student behavior parent behavior um Ofsted itself um one of the reasons that teachers were able to deal with a lot of that was because they had a lot of purpose and a lot of meaning and they they felt that there was um an underlying importance to what they did and that was actually a protective factor in terms of their mental health and well-being it's really important not to get wrapped up in the tasks Yes. Obviously, the tasks need doing, but like you said, they were the last step, weren't they, yeah. in that kind of methodical action plan? And they are the last step. When you get to the point where you can't see the wood for the trees and it feels like you're just ticking jobs off a list, but it's never ending and it all feels really overwhelming, it's time that's the time really to take a step back and think, you know, why exactly am I doing this? I read um, a quote by Mary Myatt, actually, who's sort of a really well known educator um, the other week, and she said, She said, focus on what's critical rather than what's urgent, because quite often 
everything just feels really urgent. I've got to yeah, get this yeah. done and this done and this done and this done. But actually, what half of those urgent things, if you didn't do them, it wouldn't make that much difference. Yeah. Like what is absolutely critical? What what will make the biggest impact? And I think focusing on that is really important to your well-being. On the five ways to well-being adopted by the NHS and Mind, give to others is one of those five ways to well-being. Making a contribution, um, doing voluntary work or charity work has been shown to significantly improve people's mental health and well-being and protect their mental health and well-being. And it's the same reason. It's the same thing. It's because of that sense of purpose. Yeah. So I think remaining connected with that and giving time to remain connected to that is really important. Yeah, I think I think you're right, because I think that there is a danger of starting lots of lots of different tasks, lots of different projects. You think you have a brainwave and you think, oh, this would be amazing. You get started developing that because you're excited about it, not because you it needs to be launched right now. And then other tasks are then waiting for you and then they just build up and build up. And so, you know, I think that the two things taking that approach really mitigates is number one, not starting lots of different things and then not finishing them and then feeling overwhelmed by it. But number two is that sense of purpose. It's knowing that why am I actually doing this task? Where does it fit with my journey? Why, uh, where does it fit with my core values? And I think it's also important, especially as educators, to kind of have the mindset of being unapologetic, mm. you know, because I think that we often feel that if we make money from teaching people, we're exploiting them. But if you put yourself, if you say that, you know what, I want to do this full time or this needs to earn X amount of money for me to be able to do this, to follow my passion, then that doesn't make, if you want, if you have a financial goal, that doesn't make you care less about the people that you work with. We often as educators put our well-being last and we put everyone else's needs in front of us because in a way it's kind of the nature of the job. We are centered around other people's needs. Um, but sorry, Claire, you were gonna say something. I was going to say that kind of really hits the nail on the head. I think when educators tend to move into business, they're so used to that kind of, but it's for the kids, it's for the kids, it's for the kids, because that that's how teachers are get, you know, how how leadership teams effectively get teachers to take on more and more and more and do more and more and more work. And because teachers genuinely do care about the pupils that they teach and they want the very best for them, they can end up just flogging themselves, really. And then there's a real danger of taking that across to your business, taking that mindset across the very things that people wanted to move away from, they end up taking with them because it's yeah. become such an ingrained pattern. And I think there's a really important point to be made there around boundaries. And that links to what you were saying about the financial aspect as well as feeling bad for kind of taking money and earning money. Actually, the, like, the more money that you earn, the more, better position that you're in to be able to help more people. Exactly. And I don't know whether it's a, a specifically female thing as well. And I think it is likely to be. I could be wrong there. I've not really done any research into that. But that sense of, you know, you're supposed to just be nurturing and caring and not take anything for it. So I think having those really, really clear boundaries are very important. And again, those boundaries need to be linked to your values. For example, yeah. my core values are it's really important to be kind and compassionate. Um, and I want to make a huge education um, a huge contribution to education and to my field and I want to do that from the foundation of compassion 
that doesn't mean that I'm going to do it for free. Yeah. Um, because you can be compassionate and still say no. You can be compassionate and still have boundaries. And sometimes it, it's kind to kind of have those boundaries and let people know where that line is and where that limit is. Um, because, you know, you need to protect yourself, but also you are sort of almost protecting the industry as well by doing that. Yeah, you are. You're protecting your colleagues. Absolutely. You're not, you know, otherwise it's a very quick race to the bottom. But also I think that it's about valuing what you're bringing to the table. Educators, especially when they do come from a school, from a school background, um, they are used to being undervalued. And that's not an, a criticism of SLTs in general. It's kind of the nature of the job. SLT are often undervalued um, because, again, everything does centre around the children. And when you transfer that to business, something that I find quite common is that sense of imposter syndrome where you don't value yourself because you feel like, but I've got so much to learn. I've got so much to learn. And I know that, again, this is something that Claire and I have discussed in the past. And that is this concept of decision paralysis, where, you know, you listen to this podcast and you listen and you read this book and then you learn about this and you go on that course. And then every time you learn something new, you realize you have so much more to learn. And so you never feel ready to take action. You never feel like you can be the expert in that field. And so I feel very passionate about shattering that, that blueprint of this is what a successful entrepreneur looks like, because actually we've all got unique qualities that we should embrace. And for me, that ties in very much with imposter syndrome. I think um, one of the things you mentioned, I think at the start of this was that imposter syndrome is a term that's kind of bandied about a lot now and it's it is kind of like one of those big umbrella terms yeah um I think the first thing to really recognize is that imposter syndrome makes it sound like some kind of a disease or an illness that you have but actually it's just human nature everybody everybody has this everybody has that voice of self-doubt and um I think that if you don't then you're limiting yourself because you're not really open to new growth. And I think that it's something that we all have, but we don't talk about. And it's just like with mental health, it's about like breaking down those barriers and reducing the stigma. I think the more we open up about, you know, our own kind of doubts almost and don't have, and just acknowledging that actually having those doubts about our abilities doesn't diminish our abilities. No. Um, doubting that you can do something and being nervous about it doesn't mean that you can't do it. And I think that the more we kind of open up about that and normalise it and realise that this is something that everybody has, yeah. it's um, it becomes less of a thing. It's less like of an illness that you have or a disease. It's just part and parcel of being human. And I think that in our kind of industry, in our field, firstly, we're so used to being held really highly accountable for results um other people's results yeah. not our own and secondly i think that we're really reflective the higher level of self-reflection that you have the more likely you are to kind of have this imposter syndrome and these doubts because what you're doing is you're really looking at you know your strengths and weaknesses but it's important not to over focus on the weaknesses 
like our, our brains are naturally wired to look at the deficits and yeah. again that's an evolutionary thing for our survival isn't it to kind of like focus on those deficits so that we can correct them or avoid them so it's important to keep a log of your strengths and your successes and your small wins uh, when we were chatting before you mentioned testimonials and they're fantastic but keep keep that record of your own wins yourself like the really personal ones so when you um wake up in the morning and you feel completely overwhelmed you think I can't do this but you get yourself up you spend 10 minutes kind of journaling getting all of those thoughts out of your head onto paper you kind of regulate yourself you begin to feel calmer and then you do just start to work through that to-do list and you do achieve those things I think it's perhaps important to make a note of that at the end of the day woke up feeling really overwhelmed but smashed it because it's about building that sense of confidence and building that sense of self-validation really and recognition of yourself and rather than looking for validation from outside all the time it's about now doing that from the inside out um, I was chatting to someone the other day because I was considering I'm considering doing a PhD and I was talking to a coach about why am I considering doing that you know like um you know I've got over 20 years experience I've got a master's degree what exactly is this PhD going to do and what I'm doing is I'm looking for more and more credibility more and more validation and so I'm not going to do it yet. I'm going to press pause because when I do it, I want it to be for the right reasons, not just so that I can put doctor in front of my name and have, you know, have that title to validate myself because actually I have a wealth of experience and knowledge that I can bring to the table that, like you say, is unique. And I think another thing that I've started to do is to say, you know, I am an expert, but I'm also still learning. You know, I am really experienced and knowledgeable, but I don't know everything. And that's fine. That's okay for those two things to both be true. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I think we see them as weaknesses sometimes that, you know, how can I call myself an expert if I don't know everything yet? It sounds really obvious. We know we'll never know everything, but it's amazing how we forget that when we are trying to establish our credibility and our gravity in a particular area, what you and I are doing right now is the idea, for some people, it's their worst nightmare. You know, they don't want to be on camera. They don't feel confident speaking. And that's all right. I think we are, the people who are visible to us and the, the you know, people who are successful or the, you know, the big entrepreneurs, whatever it might be, they're out there. They are speaking on, let's say, Clubhouse. They're active on social media. They have a million trillion followers and, you know, all of these things. And so what we end up doing is saying, right, here's my, here's a template. So I can't call myself an expert. I can't call myself, you know, I'm just, a, I'm, a, I'm a small fish in a big pond, but that's not necessarily the case because, you what you bring to the table is going to be exactly what someone else is aligned with what someone else is going to say I choose you and I choose you over those bigger players or over the competition if you like or whatever it might be and ultimately you know it's embracing our unique abilities and our unique skills and our unique personalities because that is the wild card that we all have that's the trump card I remember when we were talking about this a while back, about imposter syndrome in particular, you and a few other people mentioned about that book. Was it The Chimp Paradox? Or yes, yeah. For anyone who hasn't read that, could you just share that, that little nugget of that, that little tactic? Um, 
the chin basically it's your um that little inner voice that sits inside and questions everything that you do because its job is to protect you to keep you safe to stop you venturing out too far so it's that really primitive sort of part of your mind that is looking to protect you that the chimp mind can react really really quickly much more quickly than the conscious mind and it's about sort of pausing and recognizing when the chimp mind's kind of sprung into action and it can really help to give your chimp a little name mine's called betty giving your chimp a name saying it's okay betty like i've got this it's fine i know you're worried i know you just tried to look after me but it's okay I've, i've got this and it's just sort of recognizing that those instinctive fears and doubts that come up aren't necessarily true or real and that it's almost like a little childish part of your mind it is like you know don't do that you know don't run over the road see when you mention that loads of other people so we were in a clubhouse room this is where this conversation came from so there were other people in the room and suddenly everyone was piping up saying yeah mine's called and (laughs) I realized that I was the only one who didn't have a name for that inner voice and I you know I realized that it's, it's a movement and this proves exactly what you said Claire that this is part of being human and it's okay. And I think that the minute you give yourself permission to feel those feelings, then you automatically can sit in them more comfortably. And, you know, I think that a lot of the time we, we look for those emotional exits. So, you know, even from a child, you know, if, if a child is crying, we've all done it. We're like, oh, don't cry, don't cry. You're fine, you're fine. Um, because if we have a problem, especially an emotional problem, we want to fix it. We want to cheer people up. But actually, sometimes it's really good to acknowledge that feeling, to feel that feeling and say it's all right to feel rubbish. And then you can really shelf it and move aside. It's about being honest with yourself, really, isn't it? What you said about sitting in it and feel it, feeling it and not trying to fix it. So thinking, you know, I feel really insecure and that's OK. So just beginning, I suppose, by tagging. And that's okay to the yeah, end of whatever yeah. you're feeling is a first step. Yeah. And then try and reframe it in a more positive way. Like I'm feeling really insecure and that's okay. I'm just being reflective. I just need to make sure that I reflect on the positive as well as the negative, because this is part of what makes me really good at what I do. The fact that I am reflective and I do care and I do want to do a good job. Yeah. That's what makes me good at what I do. And I think that if you don't do that, And if you're constantly trying to fix that feeling, then you're not really being honest with yourself because you're not honouring those feelings, you're not honouring those emotions. And that's where a crash can come, where you're kind of coasting along like, I'm doing fine, I'm doing fine, I'm doing fine. And then out of nowhere, you just kind of crash and burn. And those feelings can become really overwhelming because they've not been recognised, they've not been felt and they've not been honoured. So it's almost like a mindful awareness of your own feelings as a form of self-honesty being really real with yourself um because we're so used to wanting to project that perfect image out there to the world if we're not careful we end up doing it even to ourselves as well um and then that that's where you know a real crash or burnout is in danger of happening yeah and when we think about you said what you said about everyone being human when you think about people that you really admire and respect and want to work with like you know these really amazing kind of celebrity coaches and none of them are perfect I can think about people that I really really admire and who inspire me and that I look up to and I can really clearly see all of their faults all of their flaws all of their limitations I can see that you know you're brilliant at this but you're not so good at this that doesn't stop me really admiring them and really being inspired by them in fact if somebody was absolutely perfect I don't think I would entirely trust them 
I think, what, what am I not seeing about this person? So I think that having your own kind of flaws out there and being open with them and acknowledging them and acknowledging your own limitations as well is actually really an appealing thing because people can see that you are genuine and warm and real and it doesn't detract from your strengths at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think that that's a really key takeaway. And I think that, you know, something that we can kind of finish on, a concept that we can finish on, is that it is absolutely okay to, to identify those weaknesses and you don't have to fix everything. You know, they're not problems necessarily. They can just help you with your continual growth. But something that Claire mentioned to me earlier, because we were just having a little chat, she was saying that it's really important when you're running your business to take this kind of CEO day. So you kind of take a day where you're taking a step back from those day-to-day tasks and you are strategizing or you're reviewing your plans and thinking, do I need to move this to a different point in the year or do I need to extend the time I've given myself for this particular project? The time blocking was one thing I was thinking, I've not said that. And I think that is really important to make sure that you have regular blocks of time for certain things so a block of time for the admin and a block of time for strategic thinking and a block of time for doing the account so that you're kind of grouping those similar tasks together but also building enough wiggle room into each day as well so that the the things that come up ad hoc can be dealt with um and i think it's really really important to just build in some blank time if you can't do it daily daily is ideal but if you can't do it daily do it at least weekly um because that blank time is where the magic happens that blank time is where you can your mind kind of brings together all of these seemingly unconnected things and makes them whole and brings them together unifies them so you to for your mind to kind of be able to work creatively in that way and for you to be the absolute best self that you can bring to your business it is about building in that nothing time as well um and just closing those loops and yeah thank you very much oh pleasure absolute pleasure um yeah I was I was I was going to say that actually I call it thinking time um because it's really easy to say right I need to get this 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 and this done off my list but if you really want to grow and if you want to scale your business and you want it to continue developing then you need thinking time. Well, thank you so much, Claire. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you found our discussion useful. Join me next week for an episode dedicated to creating your own rules, your own business blueprint. Because as Claire and I discussed in this episode, there isn't one way to do things and to really stand out, you have to be you and you have to do that consistently. In the meantime, though, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do take a moment to write a review and to subscribe. Thank you again for listening.